everybody, and welcome to another Network Classic right here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. And I am particularly excited about what we're going to be looking at today. I will get to that in just a second. But uh, I just want to make sure everybody's doing well. Uh, check in with you. I uh, hope you're safe. I hope that all your family is safe, that you're getting through whatever restrictions you're having to endure right now, uh, that uh, if no one has uh, fallen ill in your family or any of your friends. Uh, if so, I hope that they're uh, coming through it uh, with no problem and that uh, somehow, maybe some ways, your life is returning back to normal, uh, people getting back to work. Uh, we can only hope that this is going to continue because uh, we can't keep going like this. It will uh, absolutely ruin our country, our economy, and everything else. But, uh, of course, the health of Americans is, uh, you know, uh, foremost, and that's what we have to do is try and protect everybody the best we can. Anyway, uh, I do want to thank you guys for listening, though, and keeping uh, uh, in tune with us, uh, tuning in. Uh, we're putting out uh, the same content uh, every week. We're uh, doing our classics and, of course, original episodes on Wednesdays. And then, of course, the Vault episodes on Saturdays. And an interesting one this week, I, um, I'm, I'm really fascinated by uh, the, the new uh, era of, of broadcasters that are you know, not only just uh, in the, you know, the entertainment world, but also with wrestling, of course, and uh, this week we're featuring, uh, you know, an up and rising star in the world of uh, uh, professional wrestling as far as uh, covering it and uh, being involved in it. But he's also uh, become, you know, quite an entertainer, uh, entertainment reporter. Uh, that's kind of a, where his roots are. And uh, we welcome Chris Van Vliet this week and really a great story. Uh, this is... Uh, you know, somebody he started in broadcasting, didn't want to take the normal route, basically uh, said, I'm not going to end up sitting in a cubicle and uh, got some uh, big opportunities just just from hustling, you know, just really uh, got his education and then just uh, went for it. And uh, he's what they call an influencer, I guess, a vlogger. He's got a very popular YouTube channel now featuring a lot of interviews with some of the biggest stars in professional wrestling, and he's got a, a real great style to him. Uh, people really seem to connect with Chris, and I think that's what's led to his success. But at this point, he's got over 250 million subscribers to his channel. And, of course, he turns up here and there. He's uh, done some wrestling events, and who knows where his career is going to go, but he's a, a great story. If you get an opportunity uh, this week, check him out, Chris Van Vliet on uh, prime time with Sean Mooney. That will be out this Wednesday morning. Unless, of course, you're a Patreon member, you will get it early and ad-free. Want to find out more about that, how you can do it, get it all, all the content for just $4.99 a month. Uh, check out uh, patreon.com slash primetimemooney, patreon.com slash primetimemooney. But um, really uh, had a great conversation with him, and, and uh, I, I'm really looking forward to watching his career and see where he, he, it goes because – there is this new generation out there um, that they, you know, of, of, of people that are, are now, you know, carrying carrying on as broadcasting continues, of course. And we've got kind of the old guard still still around in there, the Jim Rosses and, of course, Tony uh, Schiavone. And then, of course, with the WWE, you've got Michael Cole. But, uh, you know, you've got uh, Corey now is one of these, uh, the new generation we've had him on. So I just thought it'd be really interesting to have Chris on. Um, I said we're, we're doing something that I think is just uh, uh, going to be a lot of fun, an episode this week, because up until now we've done, we've pretty much, we've stuck to WWF, WWE uh, shows that have uh, taken place in the past from the network. Well, we're going to shake it up because it's, it's part of the network, and uh, we're going to uh, start with the Monday Night Nitro, the very first one, September 4th, 1995. And I'm fascinated by how this all went down in history, really, uh, that uh, I've read I've read the books, uh, Monday Night Wars, I read uh, Nitro, and you see really two kind of contrasting stories and different sides to it in both of those publications. And then, of course, we uh, interviewed Eric Bischoff and, and uh, got his take uh, surrounding before and after, and of course, when it was going on. But uh, so I've done a lot uh, of research, I guess you'd say. I've, I've uh, you know, 
really have a, a lot of information that's been driven into my head from not only reading it, but also talking to people about it. But remember, during that period when this was all going on, I was I was not in professional wrestling anymore. I was off doing broadcasting. Another thing was in news and then, uh, you know, got involved doing uh, uh, more back to sports. So I was kind of, I was out of it. And I, I never really have watched, sat down and watched those episodes. You didn't have the opportunity until they got them on the network. So I've been waiting to do this just, and I, and I'm, I'm really, I'm coming into this as a com, uh, completely objective uh, viewer on it. And, and uh, so when, when I'm watching this, this is the first time I've seen it. I've never watched this first program. Um, I uh, want to uh, uh, give credit here because I'm, I'm relying on some of the notes here from rumbleramble.com, rumbleramble.com, supplying these notes from that uh, episode uh, back in 1995. And uh, remember, I wasn't familiar with a lot of these wrestlers because they weren't, you know, some of them, of course, because they came from the WWF, uh, WWE. But a lot of these guys um, weren't certainly there when when uh, I was there. They were off uh, working in other independent organizations or working for the WCW. So it's it, it's going to be fun watching these guys in action. I have seen them before, but I'm saying in this on this stage, and remember what's going on here. Uh, if you have, if you know the story, the backstory to all of this, the WCW was uh, a, a, an entity that was owned by Ted Turner of uh, you know Turner Broadcasting, and this had always been basically uh, you know something that he he just he liked wrestling. It was kind of his his pet project. I think a lot of his. Uh, uh, you know, staff and his corporate board and everything kind of put up with it because it never made them any money. It was always a, a loser. And maybe, they, you know, they used it for tax write-off purposes. And it was uh, really, it was a mess. And it was, ri- it was run by old school guys and uh, continued to struggle. And then there was uh, a big fallout with Bill Watson. He would end up getting fired, leaving the organization and it was kind of at that point where I think they said, you know what, either we go for it or we get rid of this dog. And uh, that's how Eric Bischoff got his opportunity to step in, take the reins. And uh, he's heard, he's told the story many times. He's uh, got a podcast. It's all about it, 83 weeks. But um, I just love the way he talked about it. Uh, you know, the fact that... Uh, he and this is kind of the, his philosophy and everything he does. That when you go up against uh, another entity that you're going to be in competition with, you have uh, you know basically three choices: either you try and uh, do what they do better, which he knew at the time he could not do when he was going up against the WWE because they were this gigantic machine. They had a lot more resources. They had more shows. They had more talent. Um, the other the other choice was to, to not to do it as good as they are, uh, but to maybe try and emulate what they did and hope that you can, um, you know, take some of their crowd who might be interested in looking at it or you be different. And uh, for him, different has always won out that, uh, you know, if, if you don't try and do what they're doing, do something different, give, give your audience a choice for something else. And that was his whole approach to it. And his entire approach was he wanted to make one single dollar in profit. He just wanted to uh, get the organization back up to, uh, or not, I shouldn't say back up to, n- never been there, just to make a profit. That was his whole focus. And he talks about how, you know, he went in this meeting with Turner for some something else and they got into the conversation and, and Turner saying, well, why can't we compete against the WWE? And and uh, Bischoff says something to the effect, uh, well, because they have uh, prime time time, uh, you know, on the net on a network that uh, airs <laughs> during the best time of viewing. We don't have that. We we go on the weekends when we're not going to get the same audience. And Turner basically, you know, he's going to leave it at that. And Turner turns around and goes, okay, well, give him Monday night <laughs> prime time. Give him an hour on, on prime. And he's like, what? And walked out of that uh, going, oh, my God, what the hell am I going to do? Now I got to do something. 
and uh, literally went into his office and uh, for the next eight or nine hours, I think he says, with a with a legal pad, and started mapping out some sort of plan, and uh, that's how it all started. So uh, it's going to be really interesting now to look at this episode, this first installment, as he puts himself out there. He is the lead announcer. He is now uh, in charge of uh, of the the roster that they have here, and uh, these are the, the the humble beginnings of it. But they came out big. Uh, they came out big. They went to the Mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Imagine doing this, setting up uh, a, a ring and uh, uh, and, a, and seats and bringing a crowd in there and launching this thing. And uh, you've got, uh, you know, Bobby Heenan's down there. A lot, of the, a lot of people from the WWE had already headed south by 95. Uh, a lot of the roster guys, the big names, had gone down there, but uh, there were certainly more to follow. Uh, one of the big uh, uh, gets he, he had was that uh, he had Hulk Hogan. He had convinced Hulk Hogan to go to work for him. But there was uh, a lot, a lot more to follow as we're going to... Uh, See when we do more episodes of this, but I think you know starting this out and and starting here is going to be pretty interesting. I think because uh, we're going to get just get an idea of uh, what was what was uh, you know on the on the first blueprints, and we are going to see different ideas that start to emerge here, and you see where they would end up going. But I'm sure at this point, uh, Eric was uh, kind of throwing stuff at the wall to see what might stick. He had a he had an idea of of the direction he wanted to go in. Like we said, he wanted to be different. And uh, one thing I think that was very different was the fact that he combined kind of this reality with uh, you know the, these uh, storylines that uh, bring in that edge of reality where people really couldn't tell the difference. Like, where are they? Is this you know real life? Are they shooting? And is that where we're going here, or is it something, a combination? And that's really what it was. They would bring in that uh, that element, and it would end up working big time. And uh, also, another thing you'll see here, and that I don't think they get a lot of credit for, is that they had some enormous talent. Uh, for example, some of the other guys that were on here, of course, uh, Arn Anderson, uh, which we all knew uh, of his notoriety with the WCW. But you had people like Big Van Vader and uh, you know Dustin Rhodes and Johnny B. Bad, uh, also a stunning Steve Austin. <laughs> uh, when stunning Steve, you remember before he actually became Stone Cold, uh, DDP. And uh, Paul Orndorff was down there. Uh, These guys that would, uh, of course, emerge from here. Uh, WCW, uh, Steve Regal, and uh, people like uh, Booker T and uh, Brian Knobs and Jerry Sags. Of course, the Nasty Boys, we'd see uh, they had gone down south uh, after uh, their time with the WWF. Uh, Macho Man was down there, of course. And, uh, you know, uh, somebody... uh, uh, Triple H was was there at the time, so uh, Hacksaw was uh, working for the WCW. But there are a lot of uh, names that uh, that w- would come from WCW from uh, some of the names we hadn't really heard of uh, or who were not very big stars at the time would become these big names in the world of professional wrestling. And uh, it's it's really uh, interesting to see. It really is. It's. Uh, I love looking back at this, and I'm sure you can look as this roster changes as we move into uh, some serious competition here. But it, it's it's really great to look back at this. So I, I'm uh, looking forward to what we're about to see here. I hope you are as well. And I'm sure a lot of uh, questions uh, I, I'm going to be uh, answering here is for myself of watching it because, like I said, I've done all the reading But to actually take a look at how this all came together, I think is going to be a blast. And I hope you remember how to do this. If you don't, no worries. You want to go to the WWE Network, right? And once you're in, then you're going to go to In-Ring. Then scroll down to Featured. And then uh, scroll from the uh, right side of the page until you get to WCW Monday Nitro. 
Okay, and you're going to click on that. And then you're going to see where it says most recent. Let that uh, drop down and go all the way to 1995. Scroll to the bottom of the page. And there is the episode. Okay, so we're going to take a quick pause here so that anybody who hasn't queued up uh, can get queued up. And then we'll go. Okay, so ready, pause. And we are back. So, folks, I uh, want you to uh, be ready to roll. And remember, I'll just say three, two, one, play. And then uh, let's let's take a look at this. The very first WCW Monday Nitro from September 4th, 1995. All righty. So, here we go. Three, two, one, play. And we start out with this, uh, really, let's, let's be honest here, this is a phenomenal open with this animation. And I've seen this a few times, but uh, I know that uh, Eric talks about it, that they had an idea to do it. And they actually took, you know, these uh, storefronts or these, whatever they call them from, you know, these cities that they make from the their connection to uh, Disney. For that, so they uh, they use that, and really, it's. I wish they would have shown more of that, but uh, they do the big intro here, and that is Eric Bischoff on the mic with his. Uh, I don't know, it's kind of a faux tuxedo, but I think that jacket's brown as he introduces Mongo, Steve McMichael, the former Bears football player. And uh, this is it, man. This is the this is the new beginning, as uh, they start this out. And of course, got to bring in the brain, which is always so bizarre for me to see him anywhere else. And it, I, uh, I'm telling you, as uh, Mongo there gets get Heenan with uh, the hand buzzer. Yeah, I guess he's a practical joker. As uh, Bobby tries to butter him up. Uh, Bischoff egging him on. So this is a ball, folks. You see the stores behind them there that they jammed these people in there. And I don't know exactly what the crowd was, but this is it. And... uh, they get it uh, set, and there's a lot of people. Look at the, you see people up there on the escalators. and So you're talking a few thousand of people as they get this uh, first match underway. Uh, and it's going to be Jushin Thunder Liger. As he comes out with the mask. With uh, Eric uh, as uh, the the uh, play-by-play guy, and then you've got Steve McMichael, who's uh, going to, I guess, do color, and Bobby, of course, tossing whatever he can. And here's uh, flying Brian Pillman as his son now in the business, following in his father's footsteps. And uh, tragedy that uh, we lost uh, Pillman. But his uh, son carrying on the legacy of the family and having some success now, which is great to see as we get underway here. And, you know, it's a very arena-like atmosphere, right? Because, uh, you know, they've got the uh, very high ceilings in the mall. So, I mean, it works. As uh, Bobby Heenan. Given his take on uh, what this match is and See, this is, uh, you know, you see some of these uh, guys that uh, would start to emerge here. Now, this is certainly had been a staple of a part of WCW, but this was uh, the first time that a primetime audience was getting a taste of the WCW in a sense, in this kind of format, as uh, they wanted to do something completely different. And wow, I'm a gainer off the uh, top rope there with that flip. Jushin 
And uh, so they're going to be filling us, I guess, with a lot of uh, what they've got planned as they start out in Pillman here. That leg scissor takes care of Jushin with some cup of brutal chops there. A big boot right to the chops of Jushin. And so this is, uh, you know, they would be known for their cruiser weights, as I uh, mentioned before we got this thing going. And uh, and that was, you know, something different than what the WWF had relied on, which uh, was, you know, a lot of their guys are big brawlers, which, you know, changed the course of things. We would start to see the emergency of a lot of these other guys who would become big stars in the world of professional wrestling. So this is a good match to uh, kick it all off with. Uh, leg drop. Leg. And uh, yeah, doing a little surfing here. Oh boy, that's a great move. And giving uh, this audience a, a taste of, of what uh, the WCW was all about. And, uh, of course, remember now, this is the big debut as uh, they try and start to steal some of Raw's audience. And again, using that scissors. Pillman, uh, well known for that, as he misses there, goes right over the top rope, and Jushin right after him. And a flip, another one takes him out. Pillman staggered out there, trying to get to his feet. Now, I, I'm wondering, uh, you know, the audience that had gotten used to seeing WCW programming, oh, man, reverses that suplex and sends Liger outside of the ring. And uh, I, I wonder what their reaction was after watching the kind of program they had gotten used to with WCW, if they were thinking, boy, this is really different, or was it, you know, to them just – same kind of wrestling or what they'd come to expect uh, during primetime. I imagine there was a lot of people uh, with a lot of pressure on this uh, first program because I'm sure that, oh boy, that uh, Eric knew a lot of people would be watching, uh, and I'm not talking about just the audience at home but also people within the Turner organization who wanted to see what this kid was up to. Cover just gets it, about two and a half there before Pillman kicks out of that. And Jushin uh, can't see the expression on his face, but I imagine it was, uh, are you kidding me, if we could have seen it. Now he goes to the top rope, and boy, Pillman turns it around and... uh, there's a drop kick right to his face. Here's a cover. And no. Jushin kicks out of it. So, you know, uh, not not a bad match at all, man, to start this out. And I have not really gotten to see a lot of Brian Pillman's work. And it's uh, clear to understand why he was very popular. Almost just another close call there. And uh, I was trying to look up to see how long uh, Steve McMichael lasted on these broadcasts. But uh, you know that that broadcast booth would change quite a bit. And boy, that was a devastating big flip off that. And again, Pillman kicks out of it. 
But we would see a number of faces in and out uh, that broadcast booth. And then, of course, Tony Schiavone would become uh, a part of this. Twisted turn on that, and now Pillman turns it around, and he's all over Lager, and here's a cover, and another kick out. And like some of these matches, some of these moves I've never, I've never seen before. I guess I needed to watch more WCW. As Brian Pillman ends up victorious in this one. And uh, easy to understand why he was, uh, you know, so well known and, and, had, and did so well. And this is interesting. You don't see this uh, very often. Uh, at least you wouldn't see that in the WWF. As we get to see a replay here, and there's the uh, the move that would and lots of replays here. Might get uh, one or two with the WWF. Here you get a series of them. As we uh, get that last shot with a pin for Brian Pillman. So uh, a lot of this is going to be some serious promos. As we see Sting. Quick uh, Sting promo. Oh, lots of fire. As we get a nice wide shot of the crowd that's uh, filling up the Mall of America. And I'm assuming uh, they didn't charge for tickets. I mean, it's kind of like whoever showed up, but you know, you need the uh, you need the audience. They wanted a huge crowd, and they got one. And so now we're getting a, a, a little vignette, I guess, as they uh, t- take us to Pasta Mania in the Mall of America. Apparently, Hogan had a piece of this thing. As he signs autograph with kids. So uh, a very receptive crowd, a very friendly crowd for the Hulkster. And he is still the Hulk Hogan where uh, eating your vitamins, saying your prayers. We know that would change, but he's got a shirt that says Pasta Mania on it. And it was in uh, Hulkster's interest to make uh, this a success. Uh, He wanted to show that he wasn't done. Make sure that uh, Vince McMahon knew that uh, he still had a lot of star power. And who's that in the background there? His his good pal to this day. Jimmy Hart. Now, according to these notes, this, this... Pasta Mania restaurant didn't last long. I mean, like it closed a few months later. If I don't, I don't know anything about that, but I don't know how it went south so fast. I mean, especially when you got Hulk Hogan. Uh, but great place for carb loading for sure. Get those muscles. Okay, as uh, Eric Bischoff uh, puts over the Hulkster as we get ready for this next match. And this is a big one. They're delivering big time on this Monday Nitro. Ric Flair in a, a WCW United States Championship match. I mean, they're bringing out the big names. He's going to be facing Sting in this matchup. Uh, As uh, Flair makes his way into the ring and gets a hell of a reception. Folks very excited to have him in Minneapolis uh, playing his music. 
And so they're going to start laying uh, the uh, the seeds, shall we say, for uh, what we might see coming up in the very near future. In a second, as we see uh, the stinger, sting and uh, very bright, colorful outfit. Lots of bangles and sparkles and purples. And Sting here, the uh, WCW United States champion. He's going to give Flair a shot here at taking that belt away from him as uh, he takes one of his famed robes off. Looking for somebody to to handle. Wait a minute. What? Lex Luger, of all things. What is he doing here? So... This is something that would become a a staple in the WCW. These surprise visits, these people showing up who you'd never expect to be there. They would uh, keep it really uh, kayfabe, boy. They didn't uh, let this stuff out. Uh, did a pretty damn good job of, which is surprising. I'm surprised that they were not. They were able to keep a lot of this stuff under wraps until uh, they actually had these guys come out. And remember, it's all live, so. Happening as you see it. And you sat Stingo. What? Was that who I thought it was? Uh, now he's distracted as uh, we try and get this matchup underway. And uh, both of them, might, it, it looks like they might use the same hair product. Because that's a pretty close bleach to each one of them. <laughs> Sting mocking Ric Flair by saying, woo. Flair under the ropes, uh, that shoulder drops Sting. Over the top there, and this shows a little demonstration of strength there by Sting. So he slams Ric Flair, and Flair's like uh, begging for mercy. That uh, stall tactic he used in many occasions, and Sting does it again. Flair. Hoping to get a little break here. It's tossed and then ends up on his back again after that uh, standing drop kick. And Flair's like, what the hell? Did that just happen? As he uh, wisely steps out of the ring. Try and catch a breather here. Sting patiently waiting. So you're, you get, you're seeing a lot of crowd involvement here. And a lot of times when you would go to places like this where the people who show up may not even necessarily be wrestling fans, it seems as though these people were very much into uh, professional wrestling and what was happening in the storyline. So uh, they are very much involved. And uh, watching every second very closely. And uh, Flair loves those chops and delivers some stinging (laughs) blows to Sting. Getting the camera right up there. Oh, and Sting uh, just defying him. And once he realizes it's not doing any damage, tries to beg it off. And again, Sting presses Flair, and again, he ends up on his back. But don't ever count Ric Flair out. They both go over the top rope onto the floor. And uh, Eric certainly doing his best to keep the energy level up here with his play-by-play. And Flair, a grizzled veteran, so. But again, it's a little interesting he'd make a mistake like that after he'd been tossed around by Sting. Just sends him over the second rope and then goes after him. And 
Sting having some fun here, it looks. Bulldogs him there. Flair back in the corner. A little verbal exchange there. And ooh. Elbow right into the face of Sting. Wipes that smile right off his face. And Flair, man, I mean, really carrying this crowd with him is, uh, you know, with the heat. And uh, they're coming right along for the ride. So. Really interesting, though, that, like I said, to be in a mall and be getting uh, that kind of reaction. I'd like to know where this crowd came from. As uh, Eric welcomes us back after a break as that match uh, had continued. Ric Flair going up to the top rope, but Sting not giving him a chance to get up there. Uh-oh. And again, <laughs> gets launched into the center of the ring and boy got some serious height there and again how many times is that as Sting goes for a cover but Flair's got something left and now another appearance as Arn Anderson saunters out to the ring to ringside and Sting, we didn't exactly see what was going on there but uh, obviously had come off the top rope there and missed badly Attempting to land on uh, Ric Flair. Another distraction at ringside, Arn Anderson. Everybody wanting a, a shot at that belt. And Sting, uh, no sell here. Short clothesline, another one. Flair right over the top rope. Oh, and then lands on his feet, but then gets a brutal clothesline. And uh, seeing some big rights at the top of the head of Ric Flair as the crowd counts. They know how it works. (laughs) Sting in great shape here. And I never really had many opportunities to see Sting work. And uh, it's a damn good match so far. I really enjoyed it. And Ric Flair just uh, simply shoves Sting down to the canvas. Into the ropes. Lock tries to lock with the arm counter and uh, turns it into a head scissor and tries to go for a cover but Sting showing that incredible strength just presses off the canvas and uh, that slide close but not enough nobody has really explained what Arn is doing out there but uh, I'm sure intimidation has something to do with it Oh. <laughs> I don't know if it moved two feet, but it, it probably shook pretty good. It's, uh, both men at this uh, uh, shook up a bit, and now things like, what are you doing here? What's going on? What's going on? Well, Sting turns his back on Ric Flair. You cannot do that as he drives a fist into... The hamstring of Sting and now trying to lock in a figure four leg lock and does it. Now remember, he's got a shot at the title here and Sting refusing to submit. And uh, Flair really setting it in and using the rope there for leverage. And obviously that is incredibly painful. Sting though refusing to submit. And Anderson now steps in. Says, what the hell are you doing, Flair? Whoa. 
And uh, they're they're talking about, you know, they thought that this was all over between these two guys. And wow, Flair sneaks a shot in there. And now Anderson just erupts. And now we got just a brawl. And Flair, Flair wisely takes off. And so we got the suits blocking his path and uh, preventing any further altercation. So people here are apparently wondering, where, what, where's the alliance here now? All of a sudden, Anderson is, uh, is going to be in a, some kind of alliance with Sting or what, but doesn't, doesn't sell it. And now you've got, this is interesting now that you've got uh, as that wraps up there, Scott Norton right there comes out and says that, you know, he, he's, he's upset over the fact that he hasn't gotten a shot to get in the ring here on this debut episode. You got uh, Steve McMichael get involved and then the Macho Man for whatever reason comes out. Maybe it's they're all trying to score points with Bischoff. And Randy Savage says, hey. And uh, it's kind of clear here that, uh, you know, at least they're creating the illusion. Remember, this is a live show and you've got somebody else coming out and, and screwing with this lineup and here you got Bischoff trying to have this great show and it's falling apart all part of what you would see in the coming weeks and months and years actually where you know they would always have this kind of anything can happen at any time who's going to show up who's going to be fighting at ringside who's going to be pissed off at who you know somebody else so and that would work very well for these guys As we see a, a Sabu promo here. And uh, boy, you talk about a maniac uh, during his career. He, you talk about extreme. He was a master. Ooh. So we get a break there. As all hell had broken loose at ringside. And now they've tried to get things back under control. And this is weird for me, too, seeing Gene in the ring. Pair of glasses on and just a suit. And remember, uh, Gene's very comfortable being in Minneapolis. That's where he started in uh, in Minnesota. And uh, one of the contests here giving away a Harley Davidson as Gene's announcing... Who it is. And they included that in the broadcast. So that's uh, another thing to give people reason to watch. As they say, uh, Mike Hill, I guess, from Coleman, Alabama, had just won a Harley Davidson motorcycle. (laughs) So... He's talking about uh, some of the uh, matches that you're going to be seeing. And remember, they would do the same thing that the WWF was doing. Uh, they would have the you know these pay-per-views that they would build up. So we'll see how this is going to go. And Bobby Heenan uh, saying that, yeah, you know, I wasn't, uh, I would have been right there, but I I don't like to get involved in things. uh, So, (laughs) and here we see Mike Rotundo, who, of course, if you were a fan of the WWF, had known him as IRS, Erwin R. Scheister. Well, now he's, uh, you know, Mr. Wall Street. So, you know, that they would, 
they would walk the line about using these guys' characters and just coming up with another way to present them. If it had worked for them in the other place, they'd have some connection. So here he is. He's uh, Mr. Wall Street. What did he say? Did he say IRS? And uh, he was going to be, this is his, his promo, Mr. Wall Street. And uh, he was going to be debuting the following week. So here you have another guy who's making that trip south and joining the roster uh, after leaving the WWE. As we would see, uh, the mass exodus continue. Uh, here's another one. Uh, boss man. Bubba Rogers, big Bubba Rogers. Uh, but he's not wearing uh, uh, a law enforcement uh, outfit, no uh, prison guard gear, no nightstick. He's got a suit on. So you've got Hulk Hogan coming up here versus big Bubba Rogers, and this is for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. As we get back to the action, as a shot from the rafters of the Mall of America. And I, I'm just wondering, like, people just kept riding that escalator as they kept that pretty full as Hulk Hogan, the Hulkster, WCW, the new merch, but still the red and uh, the yellow, as he comes out with his uh, manager, Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. So it's very much, I mean, you're seeing the exact same thing you saw with the WWE. Uh, Hulk did not change his shtick yet, but it would soon uh, be obvious uh, that it was, uh, you know, beginning to tire with the, the crowd, and they had to do something. I think uh, Hulk realized it, but then again, he was very, very fearful of, of changing it because, you know, if uh, you want to stick with what works for as long as possible, and uh, not using the Real American song that uh, was his signature with the WWE. And uh, Big Bubba Rogers still in the, the suit gear, going to wrestle in street clothes, I guess. The suspenders. And we had seen for many years the big boss man up in the WWE. It's really weird to see him in here, uh, you know, in a, in a different role because he was a boss man to me. And for so long, that was his, uh, that's what he did. So I'm not quite sure what he's going for here with the the suit look with the suspenders. And remember, this is a chance for him to walk away with the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And Hulk, uh, though, you got to say, I mean, in, in great, great condition still. Fabulous tan. As these two go at it, few uh, fewer locks on the top of the dome, but still in great condition. And now we get the old test of strength. And Big Bubba, as they call him here. Ooh, boy. Elbow, and then just follows up with the body shots. And just uh, goes after the Hulkster, just crushes him in that corner. As the referee try and gain, tries to gain some control. So they keep it going. And now the Hulkster turns it around after driving a shot into the schmaz of Bubba, that's so weird me calling him Bubba. I keep wanting to say boss man. 
Raph successful at backing Hulkster off. That gives Bubba a chance to use the thumb right to the eye of Hulk Hogan. Drives a shot to the throat there. Picks up the Hulkster pretty easily. Him showing that strength. Oh, backbreaker. He drops the Hulkster on the floor. Hulk Hogan. Doesn't stay down long. As Bubba just keeps after Hulk Hogan. And big shots to the ribs. As uh, Jimmy Hart and still, you know, always had the different outfits. That's a real American outfit. And a boot. Hulk Hogan always dangerous to that. Really connected like a rock'em sock'em robot there. As Bubba goes down and Hulk keeps up with the assault with a flurry of fists. And what? The referee pulls his hair. <laughs> that took some guts. And uh, that distraction enough to allow Bubba, and basically doing the same moves we saw in the WWF, but uh, gives him a chance to turn it around here. As he goes after Jimmy Hart, I guess he figures that Hulk Hogan is uh, incapacitated enough. He's got time to do this as he rips the coat off Jimmy Hart, and that, of course, is going to cost him. Boom. Uh, two big rights sends Bubba back into the ring. And Jimmy distracting the referee, saying he was choking me as Hulk Hogan taking full advantage, wrapping uh, Jimmy Hart's coat over his head and then just pounding away. Never used to understand the counts on the... It was something people got into, but really, that's what would happen? Clothesline and uh, Bubba in trouble. Why he took the time to go after Jimmy Hart is the big question here. And... Hulk showing some strength there, just lifting Bubba up off the ground and with a slam and drops a couple of elbows. Breaks that boot right across the forehead. And uh, Bubba's noggin taking quite a beating at this point. The crowd remains into it. Bubba with a big chance here. What do you think his chances are of actually walking away with the belt? Eh, not good. Slams the Hulkster. As he uh, keeps it up. And I, I wonder what the folks at home are thinking at this point. It's, you know... Good show, entertaining. I don't know if they're thinking, wow, this is something new. Big Bubba gets to the station. The train ain't there. And Hulk Hogan. Bubba catches him and drops him on the back of his head, hooks a leg. Hulk can't believe that just happened. Bubba can't believe it, giving him some really big shots. And all it does is inspire Hulk Hogan. Oh, boy. So you got to do better than that. Will we see the boot? There it is. Drops a leg and we'll... Go for the cover, and it is enough. Hulk Hogan victorious over Bubba Rogers. I think that was the heaviest I've ever seen Jimmy Hart. He's got a few pounds on him. As uh, Hulk Hogan remains the champion, 
Uh, this is the point where the crowd is still into the Hulkster, so he's going to be able to ride this shtick out a little longer before we saw another transformation and just how big it would become. And out comes, it's like, we're going to bring out the whole cast. And who do you think that is? And now Lex Luger shows up. And look at all these guys you got here. You can probably pick out Brutus Beefcake, Kamala's out there. You got uh, Fred Ottman. And uh, it's Lex Luger and Hulk Hogan. And we saw earlier in the program, Lex Luger just uh, saunter in. Now he's in the ring, toe-to-toe, with Hulk Hogan. And everybody's in there. You got Sting. You got uh, Macho Man Randy Savage trying to help restore order. And so this is what they do instead of sending the suits out like you'd see with the WWF where Pat Patterson and Rene Goulet and Tony Correa. Well, they'd send the boys out. And you know that these guys are jawing away and we're trying to get to the bottom of why Lex Luger is here. Because Hulk Hogan is not happy about his presence. And we can't really hear what they're saying, but you probably imagine it has something to do with Luger wanting a shot, wanting to be among the top of the WC, at the top, I should say, at the WCW, as they have this debut show of WCW Monday Nitro. And we saw briefly those John Tenta, and you saw that, uh, you know, Earthquake was there. And Macho Man, still doing a lot uh, back then for charity. To benefit MDA, the War Games pay-per-view. All right, and they're still John in the ring and trying to get some idea. As Luger explains, he's here for one reason. That's it. What do you think it is? Well, Gene can't argue with that. As he explains it, uh, you know, we both have paid our dues. But he's tired of uh, hanging out with these guys that uh, haven't given him his due. He wants his shot. So he's telling him, yeah, you uh, that's good. I know you've uh, paid your dues or whatever, but uh, nobody's taken this thing from me. And it is very freaky, I have to tell you, for me to look at this and realize that these, all these guys were superstars in the WWF uh, during that reign. Those years from 85 through 93. And then to see them all with another organization is very bizarre. Well, he's a hoaxer agreeing that he will give him a title shot. There it is. That means it's got to happen. Gene can't believe it. Wait a minute. So we've still got some serious heat in the ring, even though they've reached an agreement here. Hulk Hogan says he's willing to put it on the line, put that title up for grabs. And man, they just leave everybody hanging. 
as uh, what is that dog with the horns on? It's a little early on uh, for Halloween. This is in September, but whatever. <laughs> so this is uh, this is it, man. This is uh, a debut edition. Wow. Okay. Uh, I have to. I have to tell you, I I enjoyed watching that very much. That was pretty cool uh, to see where it all began. And uh, I'm telling you, it wasn't a bad first effort. Uh, you got you, you know. Let's take you back to that date, September fourth, nineteen ninety five. And uh, of course, you know, Raw is just uh, it's not great. They ain't got a whole lot going on down there. They're struggling. Uh, Bischoff sees an opportunity here. And just, uh, you know, like we said, he was going to be different. Well, that was very different than what people were used to seeing on Monday Night Raw at the time. And having all of these uh, these superstars that had gone down south and, and Vince is trying to figure out what to do next. And he's trying to promote these guys that uh, weren't, you know, big names and hoping that one of them would click. And they've got, uh, you know, Bret Hart and uh, some of the big names still there, but they're they're treading. They're treading water at this point. And so the opportunity was there. And this is where it all began. And it would take a while, of course, until we would see the emergence of the NWO, but the guys would be coming. And, uh, you know, Bischoff had the luxury of being able to offer these guys contracts, now think about it. Back then, that just didn't happen. And literally, if uh, if you've listened to the podcast, uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney, I've had a lot of these guys on, and they'll tell you about these contracts they had, which really were all in favor of Vince McMahon. He knew it. Uh, he knew these guys wanted to be at the uh, in the big time, and, and that's what it was. The WWF, WWE was was the best. It was the big show. So you would go there literally for just the promise that they were going to give you some work. They didn't guarantee you any money. They didn't. I, they guaranteed you minimal dates, but they would tell you, "Yeah, you could make, uh, you know, you could make three hundred thousand dollars. You could make that." Uh, and Vince would, you know, in a sense, kind of verbally guarantee these guys. But many of them didn't end up getting the money that they thought they were promised. Uh, here you got Eric Bischoff, and he's signing it on the line you know you're getting you're going to see exactly what they're going to pay you and uh for a certain period which would be two three years and and that that was unbelievable so and they didn't have to do the kind of traveling and the dates that the wrestlers in the wwe had to do uh you've heard me mention many 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 times what these guys had to endure when they were um with the wwf where they would be on the road for, you know, 30, 40 days sometime, get home for a few days, rest up as best they could, and then get back on a plane and get back into the grind of uh, basically seven days a week, uh, eight or nine maybe uh, appearances, and uh, doing TV tapings, and it was brutal, all for the uh, no real guarantee and then these guys could go down there. They could spend more time with their family. They had a guaranteed check, whether they worked or not. And uh, life was good. And it was big-time money. I mean, we're talking millions and millions of dollars. Some of these guys uh, making a fortune. Uh, they, in these uh, publications, they uh, talk about Hulk Hogan's agreement and the kind of deal that he had, which was you know a, a percentage of these pay-per-views. Uh, because he was the big ticket item and uh, just just crazy, uh, crazy money. And, and what it ended up doing is changing the business forever, for for the good. I will say overall for the good, no question about it, because uh, until that time and, and probably to this day, they would still be uh, working without, you know, co- really good contracts or guaranteed money or period of time for contracts, uh, you know. That that's how it uh, really began, and they all have 
Eric Bischoff, Bischoff and all that uh, other people that were involved, the principals, and Ted Turner, right? And uh, Time Warner, who paid these contracts. So it was pretty exciting time, and we'll do more of these. I'm not going to do them in order. What I, I want to try and find uh, significant shows that uh, where things really changed when I do these, where, where they really stepped up their game and, and uh, you know, where they really uh, – where you could see they were starting to have a big impact in the the race with the WWE um, so that we can do that. Because uh, going week to week, it's like with Bra. I'm, I'm going to start jumping around with that too because I want to see what they were doing at the same time when all this was going on. I think that'll be fun to do. Anyway, I, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, once again, please catch all of the content we're putting out there. On Mondays, of course, we put out these uh, network classics. And then on Wednesdays, we have an original episode this week. We've got uh, Chris Van Vliet, uh, the uh, blogger influencer and uh, a guy who's uh, really shaking things up out there, getting some great interviews with uh, wrestling talent. And uh, check out his uh, YouTube channel. He's got 250,000 subscribers and growing every day. But a great conversation with him. It was really good for me to, to get a, a take on, on where these guys are coming from, where they're going and his plans, and uh, made me feel good when I got done talking to him uh, that, uh, you know, there's some really, really talented uh, announcers out there. And that includes, you know, people like Corey Graves, who I'm a big fan of. I, I, I really like the stuff that he's doing because it's it's new, and he's not really, you know, you take a little bit from different announcers, but he's doing his own thing. He is truly an original. And, uh, you know, there's a few others out there like that. So be sure and catch that episode. Uh, you can get it early and ad-free if you uh, join us on uh, Patreon, and that's easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney, patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Or, of course, you can just uh, wait, and every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, uh, when we drop a vault episode on Saturday, these uh, episodes drop at 6 a.m. Eastern time. So be sure and check uh, all that out. Uh, you can email me. I'd love to hear from you. Let, you know, uh, let me know how you're doing. I hope that uh, everything is good. Or if you've got some suggestions or different shows you want us to uh, take a look at, go ahead and email me. You can email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at primetimemooney as well as Instagram. Same same as, uh, that, as our Twitter, at primetimemooney. In the meantime, uh, stay safe. And uh, again, thanks for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, frequent our sponsors. They, uh, they're the reason that we're able to keep doing this. So if uh, you hear some of these ads, and I know it's, it's uh, tough to listen to sometimes, but uh, they're the ones that keep us doing this. So if there's a product that you like, please, please uh, frequent them. And, uh, and uh, you're, you're, in a sense, saying thank you. You are, because they're the ones that keep this stuff going. All right. Take care, everybody. Until next time, I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.